0: Gordon, we're on, we're
1: live. Here we are. Happy New Year. <laughs>
0: Happy New Year.
1: We should say we have actually wished each other Happy New Year before, live on the poddy. We don't just wait for these things to talk to each other.
0: Well, it's kind of getting that getting a bit like that, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it's like, any anytime we have a chat that's not on the podcast, it's like, that'd actually be good for the podcast. Let's not <laughs> talk now. So we're just going to talk once a week from now on. Is that it? In front of people, yeah. <laughs> Public conversation. How is the Christmas? In uh in what sense so you want to in, talk in, about in, in, in jujitsu wise and and behavior wise.
0: Uh for me jujitsu wise, not a lot of training actually. So did I do any training? No. I, I had to work, so I had a deadline for work, so I was pretty much doing that in the time that I would otherwise be training. I did get a bit of time to look at some kind of conceptual stuff and listen to a few podcasts that was good kind of set me up again for for the new year at least give me a bit of framing behavior wise i think christmas is kind of interesting well any any say divergence from one's typical routine is is interesting i think from a behavior perspective because you know you exist in in genuinely in this kind of um Field of 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 tensions and uh, you know um, when you have a a set routine in a place that you normally exist in this kind of behavior setting, or you have a few different places that you kind of you know move from one to the other throughout your week, you tend to establish these very interconnected kind of interdependent patterns, and um, you know when you shift up. You go to a different place you're in a different behavior setting altogether that tends to i mean get thrown off course a little bit
1: so you're basically saying when you when you go from dublin down to home home you changed your setting and everything changed for you
0: well not everything well i I think what's even more interesting is that you tend to find yourself uh, adopting patterns that are familiar to you in in that other place you know so like I know, so mom and dad, we're gonna hang them out, throw them under the bus here. But um, they tend to go to bed a bit later and be up a little bit, little bit later than I normally would, and you know, just kind of slotted
1: into that. Yeah, I get you. Yeah.
0: But I think there's a, there's actually something even more interesting at play here. So in my in my own set, most of my PhD work is is not really about individual habits, although it's obviously necessary to have that understanding, but it's it's about social habits. So I talk about how we develop um, what I term participatory sense-making frames, which are basically habits that, in a sense, loop through other people, right? They depend on other people for their enactment, but also their kind of constitution. So they come about in relationship with other people, and then they're kind of reproduced in the company of other people. So w- one thing I find interesting is, And I noticed this this time, and I've noticed it before, is that, say in this house here, my tendency to be very sensitive to the cleanliness of the kitchen is is pronounced, right? Because you're sharing it with other people, and if you deviate from what is the shared norm, shared pattern here, you have a sense of deviating from that, right? You just have a sense of you're doing something wrong. But I'll notice, like when I'm in Mam's company, you know, I just fall into this kind of uh, lethargy around the cleanliness the kitchen to some extent yeah i have to remind myself of it much more than i would here
1: i'm the same actually i yeah i'm the same when i go home like our house here is as as yours is and we're we're a couple so we're not even we don't have pressures on on us from other people we've just kind of i suppose in our own time just set this standard for herself that is like you know, not trying to big up the cleanliness of the house but it's like it's it's pretty tidy and and together and, and 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 clean and um but then yeah i'm the same when we go back to home home yeah it's like i almost i'm the same i don't mean to get less tidy and clean but i probably know i have the fallback of ma'am to to come behind me and 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 she's probably you know is that yeah that's that's the same for me
0: so the 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 interesting thing for me there is like it's it's not a a knowing or having a knowledge in mind right it's just this thing that has came to stabilize in that relationship and you know you can you can see then i think it's really interesting from a say a sociological perspective because you can see right how you know the the labor roles in the house are unfairly divided, right? And they're just habituated into the shared dynamics such that Ma then ends ends up having to take up more of the workload. And not only if if we deviate from them, or sorry, not only if you kind of intervene there and start doing things differently, do you feel it? But I'm sure Ma feels it too, right? And there might even be situations in which that causes a kind of dissonance, right? And the person has to be like, "Oh, I'm not saying that. That's necessarily the case for me." But like, if all of a sudden we're to- taking up a labour role that wasn't normally ours, because you're disturbing the kind of dynamics of the system, that person might have a sense of it and be like, "Might even resist it." You know, some people. But that's say,
1: assuming everyone uh, everyone is happy with the system that's in play.
0: But it doesn't. That's it. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're happy. It's just. Because these are so habituated right that they develop their own own norms, right, so these are systems themselves that shape our behavior when we step into them. does mm. that make sense yeah. right so it's not a very conscious thing or a happy thing or anything like that. it's a sense of optimality in that s- circumstance right so you mm. just kind of occupy this zone and then you're negating these dissonance that arise within the zone, right? So things come up and they feel odd or uncomfortable and you push them away. And when you push them away, you reestablish the existing patterns there. So people talk about like the challenges of behavior change. And one of them is that like other people, not that they don't want you to change behavior, but when you change behavior in their presence, it perturbs them because the behaviors you had previously or prior to that are actually also part of whatever it is that, you know, the system of behaviors they're included in. So when yeah. you change your behavior in their presence, you know, you norm- we normally talk about this as like people not liking it or people wanting to cut you down a, a peg or whatever the case may be. But I don't think that's the case, right? When you change in the presence of other people, you're perturbing them. And it might manifest as this sense of, well, I I want to cut this person down a peg. But actually what you're doing just causing dissonance in that person. And the person wants to kind of negate that distance. And the only way to do it is to, maybe try and reestablish the previously existing, existing role that you occupied.
1: You're making me feel a lot better about not cleaning up uh, at home. home.
0: <laughs> but I think there's an interesting thing here too, right? Because it's like, oh, now you don't have the excuse because once you're sensitive to the existing dynamics, you kind of have to go, oh, Ma is taking up more than she, she needs to be. And the only reason I'm not doing it is because it's a, a established habitus in the relationship between us. Um, and now I need to be conscious of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Well. Um. Anyways, what are we doing here? So it's just the turn of the new year. This is the Salt Podcast. If anyone's just joining us, we we talk a bit about. As you can see, we've got straight into behaviour change. My brother Mark on the opposite end of the the world, by way of the internet, he's doing a.
0: <laughs> you said that like it's a new thing. <laughs>
1: This technology is pretty good. By way of <laughs> Zoom, the new Skype is doing a PhD. Mark, you talk to yourself and then I'll talk. I'll do my introduction. It's always easier that way. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do one next time where I do yours and you do mine and just watch us. <laughs> you should do more.
0: that with the crack. So um, what are you doing? Yes, yeah, so I'm working on this framework practice system. It's kind of like, I'm thinking about it, people might know, say, the kind of, Rob Bernaki approach to jiu-jitsu where it's, you know, you have these core concepts and then you kind of build on that, a principled understanding of the game of jiu-jitsu. What I'm doing is very similar, but it's actually for behavior change. So it's a kind of systemized approach to behavior change. Uh, and it gives you a kind of set of principles and tools to understand your own behavior and how to change it. Well, I'm working on this and you're helping me work through it. And, you know, this is all part of my effort to develop that. Um, so yeah, you could be able to design uh, and it's kind of an offshoot of my own theoretical work.
1: And you'll have your, uh, even though it's not entirely related, but you'll be a PhD doctor by the end of the year? Yeah. In and around that's... August. In and around August, which is also the time that I intend on winning the World Master Jiu-Jitsu Championship. So if you've just joined us, from my end, I had this... uh bit of a internal private goal to attempt to win the World Master Jiu Jitsu Championship in my age, weight and belt category this year. So I'm setting out to do that. Mark was giving me a hand at the weekends. We were chatting for a few minutes and he was we we're talking about behaviors and and how I could supplement my training that I'd be doing obviously with my coach and my my team and my training partners that I'd be doing that anyways. How I could supplement my training with a bit of knowledge around behavior change and and habit change and habit formation and that kind of stuff. Uh, we were sitting down for for a little bit and we said, you know, let's uh let's document this maybe there be something in it for other people maybe we can help each other out and uh hence hence the formation of the salt podcast bringing the best out of bringing the best out of food <laughs> no, bringing the best out of uh, each other and the listener hopefully so yeah just with that i was thinking about this over christmas and i don't even need to qualify this because i've said it on every episode but i'm attending the masters 2 jiu jitsu championship in blue belt in my weight, whatever that ends up being you know I do have the option to attend the world master Jiu- or the world Jiu Jitsu championships, but not at master 's level, so I could attend the the, the the bigger event, which is all the best in the world so i 'd be attending an event with all the best blue belts in the world, uh, and that includes people from their teens you know right through to thirty years old instead i 've opted to go for the master 's version, which is the old man version, and you know I could make it harder for myself by attending the World Championship without the Masters qualification, but I'm likely to get smashed. So (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm being realistic. I I've set myself a goal, and I'm sure this will come up in our in our our talks as well, Mark. But I've set myself a goal that, whilst difficult, there is some hope of achievement, at least in some form. You know, I, I, I hopefully all going well, I win it out, but I have a fighting chance. I believe if I attended the World jiu Championship in blue belt for my weight, that I would get absolutely destroyed. And if anyone wants to wonder why that is, simply go on YouTube or FlowGrappling.com, look up blue belts in the worlds, and you will see that these guys have a different sort of agenda than I have. These guys are already... On the path to black belt you know i'm I speaking for most of them not all of them there's still some walk off the street type guys still guys yeah. my age and, but they're and my, trying to and,
0: they're trying to make a name for themselves effectively
1: yeah and like not saying that they're necessarily sandbagging but there are these guys you just watch them on youtube or flow grappling they're the, the guys that are winning these tournaments at blue belt are absolute animals and and you know arguably should be purple belts uh, but maybe not, you know, uh, they just have a different, they're on a different scale altogether. So even though the theory is a blue belt in jujitsu should be able to walk into any gym in the world and hold their own at blue belt, that is generally the case. But the elite level at that belt is pulls apart. And generally what would happen is if these blue belts go in and they win the world championships, they often get promoted on the podium and then they're onto their purple belt. so it's kind of like for a lot of them it's about you know having these great wins as they go through the ranks and you know get to black yeah, belt yeah. within five or six years So well,
0: a lot of them are trying to be pro athletes right so yeah,
1: yeah but they don't just promote them straight to black belt they can't do that either well you know it depends but they shouldn't so I think generally they take the right route through the belt ranks and win as much championships as they can and their goal would be to go on to be you know black belts and, and world champions and that kind of stuff so I'm not. I'm not even. You know. Let's 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 <laughs> let's not get ourselves. So that's why I'm doing the Masters one. Fighting chance. A load of old men. You know. Hopefully, I'm the best prepared old man in my
0: hey, old man. in my
1: weight and age. But you know what I mean. I want to fight. I want to. I want to at least start with a fighting chance. And that was the reason I entered it next year. So anyway, that's that was just a little bit of housekeeping for me. I had. I was thinking about that over Christmas in case somebody does ask me why don't you just do the world? As I said I want to just address it before before I get the question. So that's that one, right? That one's out of the way. So what are we going to talk about today? Wait, can I ask you a question? Actually, I was thinking about this because uh...
0: well, we should say something. It's just that because people are probably having listened to the last one, wondering if we're going to talk about your progress with respect to the design we did last time. And I think it's worth saying that here we were just kind of reintroducing, getting a bit set up for the new year, and we're going to talk about that a bit more in detail next time because things change a bit over the Christmas, you don't. You're, you weren't in your normal routine, you were on a, a holiday, and uh, yeah, it's worth saying that, I think.
1: Yeah, so... Um,
0: oh, sorry, sorry, you were going to say
1: something. Well, before I do, yeah, because we're doing a bit, of, a little bit of tidy up here, so I think if you've just joined us as well, I, I was thinking about this as well, I suggest that people go back to the start and listen to episode one. I'm actually almost going to demand it now, or at least d- demand the request, because... You know, it's like to join in here. This this Salt podcast is going to be like one season initially. It's going to have a start, a middle, and an end. And it is a story. And you know, it will culminate in the in August of this year when we attend the championships. And and that will, you know, we'll see what happens with this after that. Maybe there'll be a, a, a season two. You know, we don't know what that would look like. But at the moment, this is like a, a start to finish type setup. So to make the best benefit of it. I suggest that you please jump back to episode one. If you yeah, do jump in sense. here, it's a little bit like, you know, joining into another podcast that's a, a serial-based one and, you know, trying to figure out what they're talking about and why they're doing it and what's even on about. So best benefit, jump into episode one, as much as I hate asking that you do that. But there's not a whole lot of audio content. There's a, a couple hours, a few hours before this. Uh, uh, try that. But um, anyways, yeah, what I was going to ask you was, I was thinking about this you know, this is early January 2020, new decade, Uh, as guaranteed as at this time every year, all the media is all about New Year's resolutions, habits, breaking habits. Uh, Rather than just ask you, you know, what what your thoughts are on that, I was just like, does somebody that spends as much time on habit and behavior change uh, as you do uh, consider setting yourselves New Year's resolutions? Is that something you do or don't do? And if you do or don't, what are the reasons for either option?
0: Yeah, I so, I yeah, it's easy to be cynical, and you know, there's so much stuff out there, and you know, kind of a, a Pollyannish, cheap, um, you know, almost uh, consumerist. You know, it's just kind of nasty feeling stuff. Uh, Instagram is tends to be flooded with all of that, and. I, I I kinda don't I don't want to be part of that, maybe even though I am. So maybe for for me I I try and think about it, at least in my maybe it's just a justification in my own head that I'm not part of all that. But I think about it in the absence of like strong say cultural uh socio-cultural shared rituals that actually New Year's and New Year's resolutions can serve as something like a ritualistic time of year to make those kinds of reassessments. And actually, yeah, I I, I'd say that I, I do involve myself in, in the practice of ritual setting, but I do it, I suppose, from a standpoint of kind of knowing what's possible and hopefully knowing how best to implement that and how to go about it. And having the sense of I'm resourced in the way that I need to be in order to actually enact those resolutions. So So certainly not me just writing a list of like 20 things I want to do this year and going, fucking, I hope for the best, but it's a sense of like, well, what would be possible given the limitations of my capacities for change and the constraints that I'm under and how then can I kind of outline an approach to that? And really, you know, it tends to be a continuation of stuff I'm doing, but it's maybe an emphasis on one thing or another. So I could talk a little maybe about, you know, what I am doing.
1: I don't know if that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you want to talk about some seed habits as well. Is that going to tie into it too?
0: Right, yeah. So actually, maybe I'll start there and then work back and talk a little bit about how how I'm kind of approaching this stuff. So the seed habit is really the kind of, uh, maybe it's the core at the heart of the metaphor of the garden that we talked about
1: previously. Is this your term or is this like a popular term in habit?
0: Culture? It could be out there. Uh, it's my term in the sense that I use it and it has definitive, say, metaphoric leanings, um, whether or not people, I, I, I don't know anybody that uses it per se but say people to use the notion of atomic habits tiny habits micro habits mini habits right the idea that you make a habit small it's the um,
1: same same family
0: right same family but say introduce a different framing and if you want some details on that framing and you're just joining us go back and listen to previous episodes because it takes a bit of time to outline that but the seed habit has a very uh, say you know even last week we talked about Organicist habits, right? It has this organic notion to it that it's something that contains something else. Whereas, I don't want to be too critical to existing approaches, but tiny habits, uh, uh, atomic habits, and so on, don't really capture the nature of habit for me in the sense that I understand it. But a seed seed habit really does align with those ideas insofar as we're talking about starting small with any behavior change. Now, that's just a kind of generic principle at the core of any kind of behavior design. And it doesn't apply all the time and everywhere in every case, but it's actually good heuristic for, say, individualized change in the context of your existing life and trying to make a change therein. So yeah, uh, a seed habit, why I use that metaphor is because we want to think about it as being Introduced into an existing context, right? So the seed is planted. And I don't think I've talked about this idea previously, but there's an understanding that you can't make all the changes, right? And you can't make every change. Some change is not going to work for you. Some sort of habits are not going to stabilize. Some sort of practices aren't going to suit you. And the idea here is that there's something like native plants, right, or seeds or habits. And there's something like maybe non native or invasives. And there's something like maybe things that just don't grow. <laughs> I probably do have a word for that somewhere. But right. So a, a native seed habit is something that is going to take hold within your behavioral ecology quite easily. A non native or invasive. It's something that might take hold quite easily, but might be kind of destructive, right? So maybe it's a it's a seed habit with a, a bad leaning. Um, so that could be something that we might normally call a bad habit. And then there's other there's other seeds that say just won't grow within the conditions of your behavioral ecology. So the first thing I think about when I'm thinking about behavior change is, and you can't, you know, this is always, and we've talked about this before as well, but this is always a process of experimentation and kind of probing the ecology and seeing what works and what responds you can never really know that something's going to work for you until you actually say plant it Um, so none of us has the the kind of manual to our own garden already written out and we know exactly what works within the conditions that it provides but i have a sense say from over the years doing this kind of practice what's going to work for me and what's not but i also have a sense of maybe why things that I've attempted to do in the past haven't worked and you kind of start to hone a better sense of the conditions that you need over time. So for me, the big one this year, and I'm actually doing this on my Instagram so people can kind of follow along and um, they can get involved. And, you know, if they have something that they want to change as well, a bit like what we're doing here, they can kind of follow along in details and we're going to outline the steps there. But yeah, the big one for me is uh, to take up a yoga practice, right? So I've practiced some form of yoga on and off for maybe 12 years, uh, mostly off, but it's something I've I've constantly come back to. So I have the sense that it is something I want to do, right? And that's important, right? Because it says it aligns in some sense with some uh, more, say, top-down set of values that I have. Right. If, if I was just taking something up totally out of the blue, now there might be some chance that it'll work for me, but if it doesn't really have the sense of aligning with some core values or something that I really appreciate or have some say inkling towards that makes a habit change very hard from the outset. BJ Fogg, who's, you know, the, the kind of founder of the Stanford behavior lab and the tiny, he has the tiny habits approach. He talks about this as a kind of golden behavior, right? So like some things are going to work, some things aren't. You might, mightn't might be able to just introduce any habit into any behavioral ecology and expect that it'll work, even if you seem to be doing everything right therein. But yoga for me is one that I have a strong resonance for. So that's a good starting place, right? I know that it's something I want to do and um, I've done it and kept returning to it, but I just hasn't haven't been able to develop the consistency with it. So... The first thing I'll do there is think about how can I make that so easy for myself that it would be, like we talked about before, if it's not worth doing, it's probably not worth doing. The feeling that when I'm starting out to do this habit and may establish it as a stable practice, I want to introduce it into the behavioral ecology in such a small fashion that it actually kind of feels like it's not worth doing, right? So I'm not really going to think about getting the benefits from a yoga practice at the outset. The thing that's interesting to me and the thing that I should be focusing on is am I developing the habit of developing a yoga practice? right? So that changes the, uh, say, feedback in the practice for me too, right? So if I'm showing up every morning, those are wins rather than showing up and smashing out a big yoga habit. Same if you're, say, all of a sudden you want to start doing some sort of weightlifting practice. If you're looking in the mirror every day and saying, am I actually developing from this practice, rather than asking yourself, am I showing up and am I actually establishing the habit? You know, one has the kind of feedback you need, which is say positive reinforcement, you have a sense of you're moving in the right direction. The other, you're not getting that reinforcement, even though you are probably establishing the habit. So that's the first thing, you know, keep it small. Think about what I'm paying attention to. And then what are you
1: doing there? Are you just like are you sleeping with the yoga mat in in the bed with your or what? (laughs) So
0: no, I mean so over the years I have say been able to kind of Uh, establish certain practices around my yoga practice that work so I have a practice space downstairs and really all I'm doing is uh, ensuring that I don't have any pressure on myself right so I have a template that I have so I don't like to have videos necessarily I've done enough over the years that I, I I kind of know the basics enough that i don't have to set up a youtube video for myself so i have a template where i do a bit of an intro i'll do some sun salutations i'll do some standing poses i'll do some balance poses i'll do some seated poses and then i'll do some inversions but you know all the pressure that i have on myself for the time being is i set my clock for 10 minutes and once that clock is finished what i'll tend to do is do a little bit more than the 10 minutes so i don't feel like I'm just limited myself to 10 minutes, but I don't have any expectation to do anything beyond that. Right. So it's a success. If I do the 10 minutes at this point in the practice.
1: All right. right. You'd probably get to this separately and maybe it's, you know, if people want to follow along with this, they can uh, jump onto your Instagram, which is eco behavioral designs at Instagram, eco behavioral designs, spelled behavioral in the European sense or but, uh, like for me, it's like just listening to you. There, the fact that you can get into your practice room and spend ten minutes—like, have you already made the habit?
0: Yes, but not not in the sense that it's consistent, right? So, like, if I if I have a, a feeling of um, a habit being stabilized in the sense that I want it to be, that it's just part of my practice, it starts to orient my action in ways say over and above and outside of the context of the practice itself so you i suppose like having done this with so many different things over the years i have a very sense of a very strong sense of the kind of phenomenology and how the structure of my experience changes around these around these practices so i kind of have a a a good intuition as to when the thing is stabilizing in the way that i wanted to but i suppose what you're looking out for is this ease around the practice So if you're just starting out and you're doing something, say you want to start meditating uh, and you've never done that before, first of all, make it as easy as possible for yourself. Like Have a cushion set up in a place. Have a practice that you either know offhand or say you have an app that you're using in order to give you the instruction. Make it so small that it feels like it's not worth doing, so you commit to two minutes. Some people would say even... Like if you're trying to get a kid involved in a practice and you know they're kind of interested interest in it, but they have a hard time being consistent with it, you might say like, okay, you're allowed to do it for five minutes, but no more. And you do that for the first week, two weeks, 10 days or whatever.
1: I heard a James Clear recently talking about a he somebody, one of his readers or whatever uh so it was starting at a gym going to the gym and he s- said he would just go to the gym for five minutes so he'd go to the gym just bust out a, an exercise for five minutes and then yeah. leave and just right. done that until you know the attending of the gym had started to ingrain himself and i suppose from there he, he grew it to a, a longer kind of uh duration so that's the same thing yeah
0: right and what what you're trying to do right is establish what i would talk about as a kind of um well it's this sense making frame, right? But it's a it's a kind of meta stability, right? Which which basically means that it's it's stable, but it's also has this kind of adaptive capacity. And you're trying to develop this well, there's different language here, but you can talk about it as an attractor, right? So it's a, a in your behavioral field or your behavioral ecology, you're allowing for the emergence of this attractor, which means it's kind of pulling you towards a certain activity. But then once you're once you have say stabilized that seed habit, right. Once you've kind of, um, in a sense, uh, kind of, uh, propagated, right. The seed, which, you know, it's a bit like, um, when you, uh, are planting a seed and you first of all, grow it inside on the windowsill and let it propagate such that it can kind of grow enough roots that you, then you can put it outside, right. It's this kind of phase of propagation in which you have to be very protective of it because it's still kind of in this very, um, Fragile mm. state yeah so that 's the initial kind of phase, but then you have this metastable zone right which basically means you 're stable from this position, but then you can branch out or adapt within it, right so once you have that, then you start to test yourself a bit yep. right and if you push yourself too hard, maybe you 've pushed yourself too hard, um, but at a certain point, you know once you 've all that built up, you start to have to kind of overcome the resistance anyway, but having that basis gives you a much more uh say profound and stable position from which to then encounter that resistance that you're going to encounter as you say expand the practice. Right. Because mm. you're not just going to stay at a seed with a yoga practice. And even, even for people who've been practicing yoga for 20 years, it can be sometimes a bit of a challenge to get on the mat and you know put in a hard Hard practice you know the same in jujitsu it's not it's not always the most fun thing to get there uh, but once you're there you know you know yeah. you're committed but it's kind of building up that basis from which to act thereafter
1: and how does that and maybe this is just too long of a conversation to get into but if there's a short version of you know because we're talking about starting habits there and seeds and whatnot a lot of the conversation in january of a new year is about stopping stuff like how do you Stop, yeah. stop something. Is that something, is that, a, this, is that too long of a conversation? But I
0: think there's a whole other conversation and probably an interesting one. And it's not my area of expertise, right? So if like you have some sort of addiction or something, I don't really want to offer advice on that presently, right? I'm not a psychotherapist and I'm not a, an addiction specialist or anything like that. But I think if it's something small, right, and you are maybe just say All right, what about here's, here's
1: here's here's one that's not like you know detrimental people every everyone in the world will say that they look at their phone too much now. so you know if i want to stop looking at my phone as much and i'm sitting at home and that's probably everybody now don't stop looking at it while you're listening to this obviously <laughs> 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 but once we've captured your attention for 45 minutes then by all means turn it off uh, but like is is there is there something simple that's going on there and i know like we talked about bj fogg and you know there's there's a whole kind of mastery around how they've got us to this point but like if you're trying to break that habit is there something simple that's going on that we're not not seeing there or what's 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 the what's happening there
0: well, The obvious one would be, say, like very basic stuff like turn off notifications, make it hard to access certain apps, maybe get rid of the apps that you think aren't essential or um, really valuable or aren't adding the kind of value that you want, Uh, just being very sensitive about that as a whole ecology in and onto itself. I think that's a good starting point. There's a book by Cal Newport, someone I actually worked with in the past, but he has a book called Digital Minimalism and I think that's probably a good place to start with all that if it's something that does uh, bother you but the so I th- I think you can go as deep as you want with this stuff you know and
1: yeah but for for today's purposes we need not I was just um just querying because I'm sure there's a lot of people in that position. you know, thinking about breaking, but we'll stick to we'll stick to creating habits because that's where your your expertise lies.
0: Yeah, and I think like there's there is say one thing that I would say is that like creating habits can negate existing habits too, right? So if you take a solution focused approach, and some people would take just a purely solution focused approach to say psychotherapy, they would say, well, rather than thinking on on how do I say get rid of the negative pattern. It's like, how can I introduce positive patterns that just obviate that and make it unnecessary or make it no longer part of your identity? And you often notice, like, if you do break a habit, say, um, for instance, a smoking habit or something, it tends to be right that there was a different change in your life. Something then kind of weirdly clicks and kind of goes, oh, you all of a sudden feel different, and then it's easy to break it. And that's not just my experience, but when I talk to other people who've kind of had similar, say, given up the cigarettes or whatever, they often say, "Well, I took up running, and then it was easier to do, right?" Because you're sh- there's a shift in identity, right, and and that becomes an identity with its own self-generating norms, which basically means it is motivating certain types of actions. And if say it's intention with the smoking habit, there's depending on the degree of ent- identification with the new practice say the 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 running habit or whatever it can start to crowd out the smoking and then smoking just becomes easier to give up but i mean this this really you could go as deep as you want in all this stuff and it's mm. impossible to kind of disambiguate <clears throat> why one thing changed and the other didn't or you know for any individual as we've talked about before, people are s- such complex systems that the kind of inter dynamics of all this stuff is infinitely complex.
1: Yeah. Well, I've, if anyone wants a quick fix, because I know people like quick fixes, if you want to look at your phone less, start jujitsu. <laughs> because there's not many things these days that make you put your phone down for an hour and a half to two hours a few times a week. You know, even in work these days, people get away with using their phones. Jiu-jitsu, not so much. Even running, like, because of the apps and whatnot, you know, when you're when you're a jogger, and obviously running with a, with a phone on you is better than running one with one not on you. Or, what am I saying? <laughs> obviously running, whether or not you have a phone with you, is better than not running. But uh, yeah, you know, by the nature of these things, they've ingrained themselves into making sure you've got your phone on your person as well now when you're running. It's probably only a matter of time before we have like uh you know, your Apple Watch has an app for jujitsu <laughs> and it's like they made like a uh, a kind of a a combative version where it's just tracking all your, your moves. Yeah, no,
0: but it have to be integrated into your uh into your gi- somehow like yeah, I know, um, but
1: don't talk to like that. Hopefully that doesn't happen. We're kind of surviving <laughs> without it, you know? Uh, so anyways, uh, no, that's good stuff. If, does that, is there anything else you want to say on that? Because I know you want to talk about affirmations this week because we had touched on it last week. So do you want to, do you want to get into that? Do you want well, to out, Anthony, I'm sure it's
0: say because, right, so I was talking about that, that yoga practice has been the kind of a main resolution for me. But I do want to say one other thing, and um, we'll go through it, you know, we'll come back to this kind of stuff as we go. And if you want to follow along the Instagram, I'll, I'll give you a lot more details as, as as I go too. But I have what I call, say, a master system. Right? It sounds a bit ridiculous, but I have like a master system for change. Insofar as I have, say, cornerstones that facilitate the introduction of novel behaviors such that if I want to change something or introduce something, I know how best to say I know how to bring it bring it in as a seed habit. But then I also have the existing cornerstones that allow me to kind of maintain the momentum with it as it progresses. So I have, for instance, a weekly review on a Monday, a daily review every day, and uh, say a weekly review on a Friday evening. Um, And then I have, say, morning and evening routines. And all of those things have within them, say, the opportunity to introduce aspects of the change that i need to introduce so Mm -hmm. say for Mm -hmm. instance if it's my yoga habit i know that every evening i'll be doing my checklist anyway and in my checklist i'll be saying am i set up for the the morning after yeah Um, so that kind of thing i I want to kind of give a sense of say why i'm confident about my own ability to change in these Mm -hmm. in these ways the other thing is that that is the only big change i intend to make this year Insofar as I'm setting this resolution for myself. And the reason I'm doing the yoga practice is because I've also, say, even though I hold it very dearly, uh, put aside my meditation practice so that I can do this because I can make meditation part of my yoga practice. I'm also, say, hoping to maintain mobility and flexibility in my body with respect to jujitsu. Therefore yoga is also valuable. And I also value the kind of spiritual and contemplative and philosophical aspects of yoga. So for me, it's like a really strong keystone that integrates all these various aspects and, you know, and therefore is what, you know, BJ Fogg would call a kind of golden behavior, or I would call it kind of native habit so it's worth thinking if you are making those kind of changes, like what actually makes sense for me to introduce, you know, not just uh, what should I be doing, but like, who am I? And like, how am I going to introduce something that's kind of going to better facilitate that, you know, it's going to help me live more meaningfully because that's really what you're trying to do. It's like, how can I position myself in a place that actually has this kind of really high consonance in my life, right? When I do it, it actually feels meaningful. And if you do that, you know, you're you're not only kind of uh, going down a road that's more likely that you're going to change, but you're actually enriching your life too.
1: Cool. You so consonance in my life there. I felt like I was on countdown. <laughs> consonance. I have too many vowels in, in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, excellent. That sounds good. Right. Tell me about affirmations. I wanna I wanna I wanna hear what you got to say here.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is an interesting. Do, I, do I
1: wake up in the morning and go, "I am the man, and I am, and I'm going to have a good day"? Is that what so I need to this, do?
0: So this can be like polyamish too. It's like you know the the stereotype. Sorry, no, sorry.
1: I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, obscure here and don't know these kind of words. What's polyamish? Is that like is that like loads of Amish people around you? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: polyamish is like uh, it's kind of overly sprightly and happy for its own sake and, uh, you know, lacks depth, but you you know, it's like this, uh, almost, um, you know, affirmations have this this veneer of being like, uh, you know, been kind of a,
1: yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. But I, I I know one that that is, and this probably falls into the same family, you know, the power pose and stuff where you walk around with the, uh, the, Hmm. the hands above the head. Right. Just before you're going to public speak. Yeah. I remember you gave me that one uh, before i done a, a best man speech for a friend's wedding and um, smashed it. Shout outs, shout outs to said, said friend if you're listening. But uh, it did help me to, because I was bricking it, you know? I, I was, <laughs> and then whether or not, you know, it's hard to know if I'd done it without doing it, would I have been the same result? Uh, but it certainly felt like at the time it did help. And is that in the same family? It
0: is, yeah, and well noticed. And uh, well, here's like, this is very speculative and I've never heard anyone talk about this, so I could be shy talking here, but I trust my own intuitions around this. I think it, it actually makes sense. So I talked before about sense-making frames, right? So a habit is a sense-making frame insofar as it shapes your actions and expectations around, say, a certain situation. You can get habits, you can get habits developing into networks of habits, clusters, clusters developing into identities, identities being, say, specific to a particular location or or practice. But then you get portability within identities, which means they can apply in different situations. You know, you get this kind of nesting of structures that shape action over time. But all of those, I would say, generically, I talk about as sense-making frames which means that they just shape how you make sense of what you encounter within those situations but they're say bodily as much as they're right emotional as much as they can shape our thinking as much as they can shape our action they're 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 bodily environmental structures right so they exist in the relationship between your body and its environment and say for instance when you lift your hands over your head right your your say bodily, bodily patterns as they've stabilized over the years and there's probably even something a bit more fundamental uh, within you know a, a kind of act like that that is somehow uh, embedded in our genetic um, I, I suppose like
1: the champion's pose or hero's pose or,
0: right yeah. that's you know something all primates do you know when they're like successful within certain domains or yes, yeah, yeah. or whatever it say manifests certain it kind of brings into being right it's a sense making frame that actually then when when you do it it sort of uh, spurs or constrains the rest of your body and your sense making such that whatever accompanies this normally is also brought forth right and what accompanies this normally is well, I've just been successful under some sort of conditions. You wouldn't be doing it otherwise, right? So if you did this spontaneously, like and you're just holding up your hands, and you're like, yeah, you know, this, I fucking did it, right? You're doing yeah. it because you have this rush through your body of all these endorphins because you've just had success, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of, uh, in some sense, back-engineer it and do it in the opposite direction where you hold up your hands, right? And because those things are so integrated with the practice of holding up your hands because they're so habitually integrated with that practice regardless of which end you come from it, it also brings that forth, right so you hold up your hands it brings forth all those uh, hormones and endorphins and then opens up this sense-making frame in which you you just feel uh say successful or whatever the case may be right so if you think about an affirmation right it's kind of related not 100 but the idea of sense-making frames is also present.
1: If I... Well, you, th- you had said before, at the last episode you say you were going to rail on them and why you think they work, because there's an easy logic to this.
0: Right, okay. So normally as we think about affirmations, right, it's 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 kind of held as this mad mystery, right? We don't know why affirmations work. You know, they just work. And some people will contest it. They don't work. That's only horseshit. Give
1: give another example besides the the one I gave of an affirmation.
0: Right. So um, you say, envisage something happening in your life, like, I am going to be, you know. A black belt. Right. And over time, you know, that starts to manifest and then you kind of relate one to the other.
1: This is not to be confused with the secret.
0: (laughs) Right. But it's, so, so here's the interesting
1: thing. Right? Uh, this, this could get, this could get murky.
0: No, it's not. It's going to clarify certain things. Right. So in the secret, you'll say, I, I I've, no, It's less preface. I'm <laughs> not endorsing the secret. Uh, And I actually don't really know. All I know is it's horseshit and anything. I have heard from it It is like...
1: But you you haven't read it, so therefore you have to have an open mind. (laughs) But
0: but the the idea is that you say, I think, say, you affirm these things to yourself. I'm going to get rich. And then the universe is acting on behalf of your affirmation to bring those things to you. Right. And there's some sort of supernatural component to it. That's... As as far as I can make sense of, that's just horseshit, right? The, the <laughs> there's far right, too many so situations. Speak about
1: speak about what you do know about.
0: Right. So if you want if you say, right, I'm going to um I'm going to be say visualization, right, of a sporting situation, right? And why does that work? Right. Yeah. The, these two are related and you'll see how. So if I say I'm going if I um visualize a certain practice right so think about visualization within sports practice you say you're sitting on the toilet or lying in bed and you're imagining yourself locking up an armbar from this position that you get into and then you find yourself in that position later in the week and you find yourself first of all being more sensitive to the affordance of the armbar right that this opportunity being available to you but then it also seems like when you enact that arm bar, there's more proficiency or e- efficiency within your movement, right? There's something about your movement that seems to have been bettered by your merely visualizing the practice previously, right? Mm. You know, this is common within sports, right? And it's actually, you know, some people... So think,
1: visualization is affirmation. Well, I'll get not. back
0: to the affirmation because it builds on this in kind of okay, insight. Okay. So when we talked about lifting the hands over the head, right? And we talked about it kind of generating all these uh, hormones and stuff, and then that giving you the sense making frame from which to thereafter uh, make sense and you tend to be a bit more confident right when when I envision envisions a certain practice or I visualize uh, the armbar in order to actually visualize it right I have to mobilize a lot of the say hormonal stuff and uh, bodily uh, processes that are actually engaged in my doing the armbar right yeah so like the the very capacity to imagine it is mobilizing a lot of the stuff that undergirds my own actually enacting it right so when i imagine it say certain say secretions of hormones and certain say patterns within my uh, neurochemistry and so on are activated but they're activated in a way that doesn't, say, motivate my action. It's kind of, and I don't like to use this term because it opens up a different kind of framework, but it's actually helpful here. It's kind of an offline activation of the practice, right? So if I do it over and over and over again, and I do it in a, in a sense of I'm visualizing this thing and I'm imagining myself going through this routine in in the presence of that thing, what I'm actually doing, right, is establishing the kind of interrelated bodily dynamics that are necessary for me to do that thing under those circumstances right such that when i find myself under those circumstances what would be necessary if i was just to build it up in practice therein is already somewhat established so it's just much more efficient for me to engage it under those circumstances does that make sense yeah right so when I make an affirmation, I do something very similar. So if I'm standing there, you know, and I'm just, uh, maybe on the way to work and I'm reciting in my head, you know, I am confident. Uh, I am, I don't know, whatever it is that I'm affirming to myself. Yeah. Right. There's, there's a sense of which I can do this and affirm and make affirmations that are successful and, you know, actually effective, or I can do them in a way that's, they're just kind of um uh, empty and what i noticed years and years ago was when i was just exploring this stuff as a kind of you know experimental investigation was if i started to kind of manifest it in my body much more right so i <clears throat> maybe like trying to reimagine a situation in which i was confident and then and then say it to myself i am confident right there seemed to be greater capacity for change embedded in that right so that that kind of led me to the sense of well actually this is very much like the lifting the harms over the head situation but what you're actually trying to do is induce this capacity uh, more reliably right so when i say i am confident and i actually start to generate that experience in my body what i'm doing right is establishing this sense making frame which becomes a habit which then thereafter can inform the kind of ground from which i speak right mm. so if i do it and i imagine it in a certain circumstance right so i am confident under these conditions right when i encounter those conditions it's just a kind of habitual response thereafter to be confident under those conditions right so the affirmation is establishing this relationship between a certain situation and a certain say bodily um uh, Response to that situation. Mm. So, in the same sense that you're kind of back engineering the uh, confident state when you hold your hands above your head by kind of bringing forth these. bodily states when you're affirming something to yourself like you are confident or whatever the case may be, you then say create this sense-making frame which then emerges within a certain context. Now how this then kind of explains the, the, the secret, right, if that has any success whatsoever, is that once you have a sense-making frame and it's well-established, the dynamics of frames, right, say the dynamics of a habit is that it motivates actions that reproduce itself. Right. So if I say tend to lift the soap up with my right hand, right, every time I lift the soap with my right hand, it actually reorganizes my tendency to do that. Right. Such that if I'm in the situation in which I need to use the soap, I will just reach for it with my right hand once it's become a habit. And in so doing, right, I re manifest this tendency. So in some sense, the habit is seeking the opportunity to reproduce itself. Now, if I've established the habit of, say, seeing myself as successful or confident or whatever the case may be, under situations in which the opportunity to prove to myself that I'm confident emerge, I would just be more motivated to seek out those opportunities such that I can reproduce that frame. Does that make sense? Right, mm-hmm. So you have this kind of identity, the identity seeks its own reproduction, and then it's basically looking for opportunities to confirm its existence. Mm-hmm. Right now, so this you,
1: yeah, okay, go on.
0: This kind of maps on to more interesting domains when we're thinking about how do we say construct knowledge, right? And then we get things like confirmation bias, right? Why do I why am I more inclined to say appreciate or say value information that reaffirms my identity right it's the same kind of mechanism right you have this kind of sedimented sense-making frame that seeks its own reproduction so you it 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 kind of encounters its environment in ways that are relevant to its reproduction so certain things show up as relevant certain certain things show up as irrelevant but if you have this kind of affirmed identity as being confident that can over time start to kind of reproduce itself and start to expand and grow and grow
1: Uh, so are people doing like when you think about public speaking you know and you think about you just get better at public speaking by the more you do it? are people subconsciously before they go into a next setting of an with an audience they know that they've done it before and therefore they can do it again is that like the same thing Uh, and if they don't think of that time when they have done it before and they might be getting nervous they'd be best placed to think of a time where they've done it before and they were very confident in doing so oh yeah yeah
0: so that's great advice yeah it's like I think I heard someone David Goggins talk about his cookie jar (laughs) and it's an idea I liked from him where it's like you know he has this kind of a a list of successes that he has in the past where he had to dig deep, maybe. And, you know, the, those memories are actually attached in some sense. I uh, hear the language is funny again, but there's some sense in which to recall the memory, you also have to recall the underlying, uh, say, physiology in some form or other. So when you recall the memory of that success, you're actually bringing forth the, say, the, the frame that would allow you to have that success again. Right? So mm. it's, it's great advice to be like, yeah, if I, if I have to do this thing and I'm a bit nervous, have I done this thing in the past? Can I tap into that? And if I can tap into that, um, I can actually manifest that frame in the present so I can use it.
1: It's interesting. It kind of makes me think, you know, everyone, you know, we talk about being present and mindful and stuff. You know, when, you, when you're when you encountering something like, you know, on your wedding day or whatever, and it's, it's a good time or if you have uh, maybe wedding day is a bad example because you're, you, you know, you're hopefully only going to do that once. But if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're doing a, a a public, like we say, using public speaking, but it's went well, and being really present before and after you speak, and even during, if that's possible, to not just you know enjoy the moment, but to also to be able to recall the feelings you were having at that moment when you think about it in future. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very hard to kind of go, oh, i us just bring myself back to that place. But if you never took note of how you felt at that particular time, you won't be able to go back to it as good as you might otherwise have had you recognized your feelings at that particular moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I, I never thought about it, but I think that's, that's, that's actually quite clever. There's a, I, f- I forget his name, Jonathan Harry or something. He talks a lot about addiction. But it resonates with something he said recently that I thought was was good. Right? He he uses these mindfulness based interventions to, I suppose, break addictions. And what he talks about is not to really say make any strong effort to say resist the behavior, but the next time the behavior surfaces and you go through with it, rather than saying going into the guilt and shame that you feel after it, say say you're. I don't know, addicted to alcohol and you've given it up, but you have a, a, a relapse or a slip. He says to be very, very present to the experience of shame in the wake of that, you know. So mm. rather than, say, reproducing the narrative, just become very, very sensitive to the narrative. And what they have found, and I think their, their findings here are, are substantial now. I haven't looked directly at the literature. I just remember him talking about it, was you know, you go through this a few times and you actually set up the proper feedback kind of loop such that you start to anticipate it. And given that you were so sensitive to the feelings the last time around, you're, you start to be aversive to them, right? So then you just start to avoid the the behavior naturally or spontaneously or without much effort.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So, so what
0: what he's saying is actually, and I don't think anyone has done this. So, uh, you know what you're saying is the kind of uh you know the inverse of that the 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 other side of the coin there whereas like if you have these positive experience, being super sensitive to them in the moment what could that actually do for you and maybe that could actually help manifest those states, yeah those states more easily next time around or something.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah it's like and I love to tie things back to jujitsu. Um it's like been under the mount like if you're ever under under somebody's mount, which is like basically lying on the ground and they're on top of you, uh, and, and you survive, particularly if they're like, a, you know, a belt, a belt higher than you or something. Now, usually you won't survive, but if you can somehow survive, maybe it's a minute left on the clock or whatever, and you can get in, you know, you protect your neck, you protect your limbs, you, you stay, and you survive that, you are very, very present in that. Like that's as, as present as you can be in your life is trying to survive the mount. And then when you do survive it, you have, by default, taken real note of your feelings at those times. So then when it comes around again, when you're under a higher belt's mount or you're in that position, you, you immediately feel a lot better. No, it's, it's, it's torture. It's absolute torture. But the more you do it, the more times you've been in that, and the more times you really have taken note of that, the, the, the more likely you, you are to feel confident going into that space to then survive the next time.
0: Right 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 yeah interesting
1: um, it's all about jujitsu, man <laughs>
0: see see, <laughs> see what's going on, see see what's going on here is like is interesting because you're you're getting all these emergent interregulatory dynamics between say fear responses and uh, certain say uh attentional regimes and whatnot and what you should and shouldn't be paying attention to. And all of these things are kind of working themselves into these novel integrations where, you know, you can remain, say, calm within this high-pressure situation and you can have this space within which to, I suppose, better direct your attention. Because, you know, you start out in that position. And I was rolling with a white belt recently who's, like, super smart, super into it. And he was like, I know I shouldn't be panicking. You know, he's like, I know a hundred percent. And he's like, I'm just, he's like, I can't not panic, you know, as soon as I'm there. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a kind of good reminder, right? That you kind of have to like reorganize all these existing frames in a way that, you know, just takes time and repetition.
1: Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, Right, and else you want to you, you throw in there to, to to wrap that one up?
0: Well, I would say there's a couple of resources. So the people I've heard talk about affirmations in a way that would actually makes make helps them. Um, well, is a, is a good way to talk about them? Now they wouldn't talk about them in the way that I just have, or they wouldn't have that kind of theoretical basis. I don't think. But there's a one guy, Dan DePani. I think he was a Hindu monk. I came across him on podcast once, but um, he talks about when making affirmations, there was a couple of conditions. So one was like, and this like reflected my own experience from a few years ago, but one was, I think, having a strong bodily sense. The other was have like clear, concise wording. And the other was have a strong uh, mental image or something. So if you're making this affirmation, you know, have it grounded in your body make sure it's like something short and snappy but it's kind of meaningful to you and you know if you can accompany that with a clear visualization so maybe the kinds of things we were talking about where you know you have this previous experience of having done this Uh, Mm -hmm. the other one was rick hansen and he talks about states becoming traits and i actually think i'd love to talk to him because i think the kind of theoretical position that i'm I'm developing and well, I I should say I've never actually written any of this down. So it's, it's not like I've been developing this aspect of um, my understanding, but the kind of theory that I'm developing, I think would actually help him make sense of his own position, but he talks about something very similar, right? So he'll talk about if you have this ex- positive experience to kind of multiply it or amplify it, right? So he's a, a, a well-practiced, um, Meditation practitioner, but he's also a psychologist. So you know he talks about like you have this positive experience in your day um, that you can kind of savor it, and the way to do that is to like feel it in your body, amplify it, just uh, savor it's probably the best word. And by savoring it, you start to re- to to kind of I suppose transition what are states into becoming more enduring traits. My obviously position would be that what you're doing is is manifesting these sense making frames and then they're developing into networks and clusters and becoming identities and so on but yeah they're two good resources if people wanted to look beyond just
1: this cool uh, so yeah maybe just direct people to your uh instagram again if they want to find out more maybe if they want to follow along with that yoga practice a little, a little uh project as well
0: yeah so my instagram is um at eco behavioral designs E H <laughs> I'm terrible speller E H A V I O U
1: R A L the european version but if you google it I'm, i don't know can you google instagram addresses but either way um yeah jump on there and that's probably and again that's probably going to be the main form for interaction with this podcast as well like if you're if you're following along since day, day dot you will realize time and time management are going to be key in 2020 for everyone concerned so that's probably going to be our main portal uh for you know that may change i do i do
0: have a, a, an email as well this may be worth giving out which is um well, actually... <laughs> no, start, start,
1: start with the Instagram and you yeah, can go for DMs from there. Yeah,
0: I might give you an email maybe next time around. Um, uh, I can't remember the email address because I've only set it up. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Show notes are going to have to become a thing, I reckon, on this. we butcher butchering authors' names, books' names, quotes. Uh, anyways, hat tip to everyone. Shout-outs to everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's just <laughs> generic just, shout-outs just wait, at the end. I'm,
1: I remember when I done my thesis in college, uh, I, I copied and pasted a whole chapter and just put quotation marks at the start of the chapter and at the end of the chapter and then just shout outs to whoever the reference <laughs> Are <you> serious? is. serious? <laughs> but uh, sweet. Anyways, all right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, happy New Year, New Decade, everybody yeah what are we coming back with next
0: week next week you're going to have a bit of a report on how stuff is going for you in terms yeah. of the design yeah. we'll kind of iterate on the design if needs be and uh i think um you know this year we're getting into the the real the real the real shit like you know it's august is only 8 months away we're in 2020 and uh it's time you know it's time you start making some 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 progress
1: all right thanks leave it there sir cheers <laughs>
0: <laughs> no pressure.
1: Right, good, good, good. Ciao, ciao, ciao. So.